What's up, y'all? It's a new week, so it's a new episode of Power Spike here to break things down in the world of League of Legends. Degon, Monty, and Dom here. Uh, and it was a lot of action at MSI, a lot of drama happening here in North America as well. So let's get into it. Uh, how you doing, Monty? How are things? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, the bracket draw has worked exactly as intended. I know a lot of people were complaining about it, but this is what a properly seeded bracket should look like. You should have more one-sided matches in the earlier rounds. We're going to get some bangers. Who's not excited for T1 versus JDG in the upper bracket? That sounds fucking awesome. So for all you people who are complaining about the bracket, we're getting what we wanted, which is the better teams later and deeper in the bracket, which, by the way, guys, is what formats are supposed to do. This It's working as intended. I'm sorry you're mad because Western teams are bad and they shouldn't be here because they're not among the top probably eight teams in the world, none of them, but here we are. We have to deal with the international tournament. Suck it up. Enjoy your loser's bracket. Dom, got to ask, how's I'll, your heart? How's your heart, man? Because uh, it's, it's fine. I mean, I, I think that it, it kind of sucks that Sure, the, the format's working as intended, but you could literally just have the teams go deep in the tournament, but just have them drop in different points. Like, I don't really give a fuck if the top four teams actually, like, end up top four, but they get there in a different way. Like, you could have a, a format where, or, like, in this same format, if the draw was different, you could have just NA play versus EU instead of, like, EU play versus EU and NA play versus, versus NA. Like, that could easily just happen, and the same results could happen. And you could also just have, like, more interesting matches, like, between uh korea and and china depending on like where they come in so i think that the the format obviously we got plenty of that coming up dom don't you worry about that <laughs> yeah but i want to see i want to see more of them you know like i just want to see more of them but it, it is what it is we're I gonna see a... all of that soon don't worry it's gonna be nothing but that soon you're gonna be very happy by the end don't worry you, you nope. we had a week of hopium and uh 50 50 barons just oh that's that's what i wanted to get to like that just quick reactions on just the today's matches. I mean, it even happened today in North America with freaking Cloud9 flipping against Golden Guardians multiple times of River coming up heads and prolonging a game that almost every single viewer in game four of Cloud9 versus Golden Guardians were like, come on, Cloud9, just, just close this out. This is supposed to be for you. This is like your your warm-up match before you go play against Gen G and hope I'm, for an upset. I'm banning Nidalee for the rest of this tournament. I can't watch this fucking champion anymore. It's so useless in so many ways, like the amount of lead you have to have in order to maybe make this work. And as you're talking about in game four, one slip up and then the entire game might be completely out the window. And especially in a world where we're seeing so many like frontline heavy protect the ADC compositions, it becomes increasingly difficult for Italy to do anything that's actually useful without like a hundred CS and five kill advantage. Uh, earlier today though, uh, we got to see just uh, I just get so much joy watching Ruler play. Ruler on Aphelios is just so pretty okay. to watch. It's so good. Uh, what did also you make nice of that series? Fucking unreal. What did yeah. you make of that series too, Dom? <laughs> I thought that that was probably the most fun series I, I watched, even though it was a 3-0. Like, I thought that the execution from JDG was, was really nice. Like, obviously, yep. there was some... There was some issues that they had, like they did a bad Baron, which just happens. Like sometimes you just do a fucking bad Baron. We saw the same thing in the T1 Gen G series, but I just liked seeing the fights because it looked like JDG, like when they're coordinated, some of the sequences 
play out in such like a perfect way where it's like it almost looks like scripted it, it looks oh, so know. fucking cool so like i, I don't know i, I just mean, really just, like just watching some of the fight. feel for for ruler especially in that third game where they were just tracking all of the mobility abilities and then being able to scatter the weak against them with the syndra kind of like get the stuns repeatedly on those engages was really really fun to watch even in game one, I'm watching uh, 369 on Orn, right? We were thinking 369, super dominant. He's going to like run over it. He's playing Orn at such a high level. I'm like, wow, look how much space Ruler has to work. It's so, it's just so nice. It's so that, nice. That's to what watch. makes 369 really good. He's not somebody who's going to like shit on you in lane. He's going to normally stabilize the lane and he's going to be like one of the best team fighters. Yeah. If, if Doran could just play team fights like 369, Genji would just be like by far the best team in the world. <laughs> like the one time where he did that, the the one time where he was actually playing team fights really well, like when Doran was playing the two Gragas games in finals of yep. LCK, th that was when you're like, oh my god, this is the potential of this team. But I feel like Doran is so so coin flip, you know, with like his his uh, fights. Like I mean, the, the uh, Malphite games are like crazy. Oh, so I I think Malphite, by the way, is now zero and seven at MSI. Just a little stat for you guys in there. I think it's actually just a trash pick in this meta, but. Um, I will talk about the meta in a little bit. I think that Genji had a bad meta read, especially going into that series. But I, I think we can we can we can get on that in a little bit. All right, yeah, friends I mean, at home that were keeping track of Dom's Doran counter that took about what I think five minutes in today's show. I, I really hate watching Doran, man. I, I like <laughs> he triggers me so hard. Do you hate watching him or do you love hate watching? Hate watching, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, like, so I think that the more I watch Chovy, the more I've liked Chovy. Like, I think that the it's thing great. about Chovy is I, I thought that there was a point where he was pretty overrated in like 2020 where there was flaws to his game. But I think that as time has gone on, he's gotten like better and better at rounding out his game to the point where right now I just think that Chovy is just probably the best player in the world. And I just wish that his teammates were able to allow him to show what, what what he's capable of because he is so phenomenal he, um, he did get uh he did get significant i will i will say like i, w I was kind of there with you uh in years past where i thought he was overrated but his ever since he moved to gen g and let you know ever since like the start of last year he has really leveled up in terms of his map awareness and coordination with the rest of his team and and so a lot of the weaknesses in his game have more or less dissipated over time yeah and then his strengths are just like they're just he's just the best in the world at a lot of things so when he's able to to not be like a player that has really like really distinct uh strengths and really distinct flaws when he just has like really big strengths and then his like he's just okay at other parts of his game it just makes him so nice to watch so yeah i, I think that for chovy he's always gonna have um people criticize him until he actually wins the world championship because of you know, his semifinals last year, for example, like that's what everyone wants to point to and be like, look, yeah, he's a fucking joker. He obviously underperformed in that series, but I'm somebody who over time, like I I've tried to, to make this argument, like worlds matters and it obviously matters the most out of all tournaments, but it's not the only thing that matters. I'm not going to disregard like 95% of the year just because he played bad in like 5% of it. And I think that his body of work like speaks for itself and Winning LCK is fucking yeah, hard. Yeah, he's just, he's just the Dan Marino of League of Legends. It's fine. I'm a Dolphins fan too, so that hurts. Yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Wait, hurts you? He was great. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're acknowledging Dan Marino's greatness. One of the greatest of all time. Yep.
I can't <laughs> wait to see uh, what movie Chovy ends up joining, uh, like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Like, what, what will be his Ace Ventura? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dom, sorry, Dom. I didn't mean to do really. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's, that's essentially my point. I just feel like there's just... I just want to see Genji like play like themselves. I think that up until this JDG series, a lot of the teams have not been playing like themselves. I think that the Asian teams have been playing under the level, which this actually happens, I think, every single year where like at MSI and Worlds, the Asian teams actually come in and they they play under the level that they're playing at domestically, but they're still so far ahead that they end up winning anyway. Like a lot of these games that they're winning versus the Western teams, it's not because they're mechanically outplaying them super hard early game. They just understand how to play the game out better. So like as soon as they get a lead, it's like they can never throw it. But even when they're behind, they'll make plays like there'll always be a mistake from the Western team that the Asian team will capitalize on. And then they'll just fucking run away with the game from there. Um, so up until this JDG series, I thought JDG played pretty poorly in the first series. I think T1 was playing really well. But then like that game three throw into game four, obviously, mm -hmm. like you have to count that against them. Um, and then I think Genji is playing under the level of what I expected. I really don't like the 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 way that they've changed their play style. I really just want to see. Yeah, uh, I, Peanut I playing his champions. I think, look, this happened, by the way, in the LCK playoffs. If you remember, they lost to T1 and then made the yep. run through the loser's bracket and then made adaptations heading into the finals. And I think I think Gen G just doesn't have a good read on the meta. But we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's we got to save that. Save that for the future. Sure. Right. Yeah. To Dom's point earlier, right, where worlds doesn't matter. It matters, but not as much as the body of work uh, that thinking is the same reason why he's hating on Pioshik. Just because Pioshik won at Worlds and had a good run doesn't mean the whole spring split, the whole summer split, <laughs> that was trash, except that list last little bit, you know? So I love the consistency yep. here, Dom. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, well, we, you know, sometimes here on Power Spike, uh, we want to make sure that we get some great gameplay and you know you get so much of it right where you're kind of like you know you take like four or five or six shots of the jdg team fighting or whatnot but you know sometimes monty if you have too much of it you get a little hangover right and, and we might need a wow, cure he's doing that. a great job with this <laughs> i just learned from the last five times you surprised me continue <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I don't have the, I, I'm, 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 this is you. I'm passing it off to you. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you are hungover, I've heard that, you know, Liquid IV, one of our sponsors for this week, is really great for that. Um, you know, it is, it's party time during the summer for a lot of you, especially if you're out in the sun, you know, maybe, maybe having a few drinks. You might need to rehydrate. And I, I have not used it for that purpose yet. But I have been doing workouts with it. I did a, I actually did a three hour long Muay Thai seminar yesterday with, um, uh, with Gaston Bolaños, who is a, who just made his UFC debut. He's a national Muay Thai champion. And uh, I had some liquid IV with me. I had the caffeinated kind. Uh, it was yuzu pineapple. It was delicious. And it kept me, kept me rolling. It has three times as many electrolytes as traditional sports drinks, hydrates you two times faster. And has a bunch of essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. It's been great. I've been really enjoying it. Um, but many people have also sworn that if you, after a big night, if you have, if you drink it then or the next morning, makes makes you feel a lot better. So as we get into summer, it's a great time. You can go to liquidiv.com and use our code LFN for Last Free Nation. Get 20% off everything. And it helps us out a lot. Again, this is the best way to support us, guys. Best way to support us. We like the liquid IV. We want them to continue to support our shows.
Yeah, please do so. I'm not sure about you, Dom, but when Monty rolled up in the uh, tank today, I was like, okay, we uh, had a gym sesh. Was you know, it's, you finish the gym sesh, throw on the hoodie so he doesn't scare people away with the guns. I, I'm not sure if you noticed that, Dom. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I saw it. I thought that he was going to like you know extend the the hoodie like over the the tank top so you couldn't see it. But I've noticed that he's purposely oh. has it like off to the shoulder just to, to show <laughs> how just, jacked he is. Just falling off as I wildly gesticulate. Here, I'll make myself. My, I'll cover my shoulders, Dom. You're you're one of those people. <laughs> yeah, cover your, your shoulders. You, I, we're we're in the church. And we're just good. Good, good Dom. Good Dom. <laughs> I've learned. We're, I've learned. Look, I've been coaching the whole time with a bunch of Europeans. I'm fucking playing dodgeball. It's a fucking minefield out there <laughs> it's I all right know. apparently it doesn't matter because as long as you say it in spanish you could say whatever the fuck you want and not get oh, your coast boy. viewing rights revoked yeah you can just say oh niski is fucked in the ass oh, okay i guess it's fine i guess not what i've noticed about these other languages you can just say the most like vile shit but then you're just like no no it means something different in like you know like like you call this mom a bitch but in my language that's just like saying like that's just like saying fuck you that's the connotation like i don't oh, know okay weird. yeah yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I heard today on your your stream it was uh, who uh, it was uh, Yamato with all these weird names for items, and I was like, hmm, this this also feels dangerous. Was it Edge of the Chicken Nugget or something? I was yeah, like, uh -oh. Edge of the Chicken uh, Yamato. I, I mean, I have a tweet. I have a tweet, and this is what this is what streaming with Yamato is like. He joins the channel, and immediately the first thing he says, "Hello, Dominator," and then he goes Gilligan for Gilius, Wonder Boy Thompson, Big Jizz, and then he just starts going into his like right. He's like, "Yeah, I think a Pinutski should go a little Papushka here, or maybe a Gragunia," and then he, then he starts talking about support. He's like, "He's like, do you need a Januni here, or maybe a Alibaba?" Like he just says. The problem with him, too, is he speaks like five languages, so he could be cursing at you in like three different languages back to back, and you just have no idea that he's, you know, secretly yeah, he sabotaging actually does speak your coast. Five room. languages. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, let's let's hop into it. We, now that we hit our quick reactions there, and thanks to our friends over at Liquid IV, our first segment of this week's episode. You know, we we, we got to go west, and we're staying west, but not like North America west but a little less West where we're getting rid of some of the frauds. It's fraud alert. And we're talking about the number one seed. That's right. Europe, the number one seed from Europe. It's mad lions. How fraudulent are they? Let's get into it. So this is why vegan. I hate underdogs. All right. All right. This is why everyone should hate underdogs because when underdogs win with a rare exception of DRX. Okay. That's why DRX's run was so phenomenal. But almost every other time when you have a huge upset, like we saw with Mad Lions within the LEC bracket, it ends up turning out really shit in the end because they are they they turn back into a pumpkin after midnight and then they can't hold up internationally. And it just proves why this team was never fit to be in that position in the first place. I hate underdogs. I hate them. I hate them so much. So... I, I guess what I want to compare then, even though Golden Guardians didn't get to the same heights as Mad Lions, is that the same thing to be said about Golden Guardians instead of FlyQuest, comparing like Mad Lions to BDS or something? No, hell no. FlyQuest sucked. FlyQuest was terrible. <laughs> I don't feel so bad about that one. What do you well, think, then, Tom, Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. What do you... What no, do you think? I mean, I think I think that Golden Guardians is actually just a better team than FlyQuest. I don't think it's that much of like a... An upset. I think if they played that series like a few more times, I think that Golden Guardians would win the majority of them. Re remember that Bad Lions should not 
like they should have gotten eliminated by Fnatic, right? They shouldn't have even been in a position to do the thing that they did in the first place. Yeah, there there was a lot of talk on 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 Twitter about like, wow, they they would have been finished eighth in spring. They wouldn't even been in the conversation, and then all of a sudden now they have all the all pros and 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 all this stuff, which is I think is a separate topic. But for Mad Lions here, it's just how how can we i'm gonna ask dom this <laughs> how can you take away something positive from this experience dom as the number one seed and then just get knocked out like that i mean the only thing positive you can take away is that uh <laughs> is is that uh you were able to escape the civil war of, of france and spain and spain within your team so maybe like going into the next like now that you've went through that you can you can go into summer split with with a more solidified and cohesive roster but I mean, I think that just in general, you saw teams in Europe give Mad Lions what they wanted, and they were always the worst team when they didn't play with Gragas. Like, think, like all their wins came on fucking Gragas at, at the end of, of this run, right? Like, outside of the Vitality series, where it just felt like Vitality was bad and Mad Lions was just better. They won the last two games, game four and game five uh, with, with Gragas mid. They won three games um, versus G2 with Gragas mid. It's just, it's just their pick. And like, they're heavily relying on picks. You ban them out and they always just had weak fundamentals. They, they, they don't play well around objectives. They don't snowball their leads well. They make uh, big errors in the way that they judge how their team comp should operate versus another team comp. And this is what you get. You know, you can't just... You can't just go on the miracle run every single time. At some point, you need to have fundamentals with the games. And and I think this is the biggest difference in general between NA, uh, NA EU, and, and Asia is when you look at the Asian teams, they have the fundamentals, so they just win regardless. They can play like shit and win because they just are fundamentally better than them. So same thing goes for Mad Lions. I think that especially after watching Game 2 against G2, that they should be taking uh, the very short boat trip across the water to The Hague in the Netherlands and tried for war crimes for their Baron call, um, which was one of the most catastrophically puzzling throws that I have seen in some time. Like, just such an insanely bad call that I... I I I was like I can't deal with this team anymore. They need to get out of here as fast as possible. Which, fortunately for for my sanity, they were ejected the next game. Yeah, it it, it this just this moment now talking about Mad Lions does remind me of way back in winter when we were talking about Mad Lions going to international events and how they always choke and all that stuff. And then me soaking up the hopium as like, wow, look at this magical run. They kept form. Golden Guardians are doing it. It's it, they, they could be fine as well. Um, and now we've arrived to the point that you guys were talking about, like at the very beginning of everything. It just feels bad. So now I ask you two, two ratings of fraud. One out of one out of ten. Who uh is the most or i guess uh what how many how many fraudulent frauds are they one out of ten how fraudulent are they and then two who is the most fraudulent so monty you go first how fraudulent is this team one out of ten and then who is the most fraudulent i'd say they're like an eight out of ten i agree with dom's take that the gragas was a big part of it but also i think that the way that they got to through the lec playoffs and to msi was Fraud was also fraudulent for additional reasons, such as like being able to in Europe play Karzi on Ezreal and have like a roaming support on the map, which 
at an, at an international level, when we, when we see these bot lanes and the way that teams are, are capable of diving bot was just never really going to be feasible because if, if a good Asian team senses that weakness and is able to force those skirmishes on the bottom side of the map or force the dives, you were just never going to have any luck. And also they were very reliant on Chasey having a huge performance within those playoffs. And it was unlikely that that was going to be replicated against many of the top laners at this tournament, or they would be able to play through top in any case. Um, so I think it was a bit of lack of punishment off of their unique strategies. And probably I would have to say a lot of teams in the, in the LEC playoffs were not taking them as seriously as other threats and perhaps under preparing for them, even though their strategies, I think were quite obvious. My big takeaway on LEC is there's way too much ego around banning things that the enemy team is good at. They're, they're, <laughs> they're so focused on trying to counter things that they just let the enemy team have Niski against Gragas a million times. We watched a whole fucking split of Adam getting Darius and Olaf. Like, at some point, just ban the fucking things that the enemy team is good at. Like, even if it, even if it's weird, or even if you think, oh, it's wrong. Like, there's like theoretically, Olaf and Darius are situational champions, and you know, if we just don't give them an optimal situation, we'll be able to take advantage of this. Like, just ban Nux Cassio, ban fucking Olaf, ban Darius when you're playing against Niski. Just ban his his uh, you know, ban ban his Gragas. Hans got Draven in Spring Split. How does he ever get any Draven games? <laughs> ever again like it just it's a consistent theme within the region they just let people have their best champions because they think those champions aren't actually the best in the game and that if they play another champion perfectly and it's the right situation they'll win and then it turns out that oh that player is actually really good on the champion that he mains or his best champion so i mean when they go international and other teams like even though t1 can ego right like t1 can ego versus mad lions and be like what like Niski Gragas, we have Faker. Faker is the best Gragas <laughs> in the world. Like they could easily do that. But why would you play that game when you could just ban out the champion that he's best at and play a different game? Like T1 is better with Gragas than Mad Lions is with Gragas. But they still ban Gragas in these yeah. games because they care about making the draft as cited for them as possible and not beating Mad Lions at their best. Yeah. Uh, you know how um, Hansama is going to get Draven. It's because there's someone, some smart analyst, and I know how you feel about analysts, some smart analyst is going to say, well, actually, Hansama lost his last Draven game to, to Pays <laughs> on Jinx, so we just need to play Jinx, and then, yeah, that, that's it, that's it, that's it. <laughs> uh, people think they can yeah. deal with it, and people have short memories, too. I mean, this is typical of the pro scene in, in any eSport, which is that you're like, well, I haven't seen that in a while. He's probably not very practiced on it. Them, oh shit, ah oh, shit, <laughs> happened again. <laughs> and then there's uh, this like mind game that goes on on top of it. It's like, oh well, you know, if it's banned all the time versus him, then he's probably not practicing it in scrims, yeah. which means that yeah, like when exactly. they play it on stage, it's like I just can't, bro. I can't do it with this fucking region. It's, yeah. They need to just start. Because I feel like Europe has it, they, there's more hope in Europe than there is in NA. I hate to say it, they're just closer. But they're like sabotaging themselves with a lot of the ways that they interact with the other teams within the domestic league. It's also that like if 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 I was Mad Lions and going up against T1 again, I, I said I think this is a very bad matchup for Mad Lions because of the bot dive situation and how good T1 is at that particular timing. But like maybe don't play the Annie Pike roaming supports bot lane against T1. Like maybe don't do that. That, that, that just seems but that was a game they should have won. Like, <laughs> well, you should have won yeah. that game. Not game three, but yes. In game Which one, I felt one. like Hilly's just. Yeah, he was the only reason they were in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah. at the same time, on a long enough timeline, I just don't think that's going to work. 
I just sure. think that they don't have another way to play. They're not like if, if they try to play anything, what is going to work? That, that, would, that would be my question. What would work for them into T1? Because I don't think that uh, they could like play something that scales better and then like beat them in mid to late game team fight. So I think that's literally the only way they could beat T1 is with something like a pike that teams are not used to playing against. Which is that's what it kind of felt like it looked like in game one. They weren't used to that level of aggression. Hilly getting all those weird angles. It was it was the Hilly that we wanted to see for at least game one. Uh, so Monty, who is your most fraudulent? Did I miss that? So which player is your most fraudulent on Mad Lions? I think El Yoya actually did pretty well. Um, I mean, Chasey underperformed relative to what we saw in the LEC playoffs. Um, I don't know, I think it has to be probably Niski or, or Karzi in this case. I think it's I think it's probably Niski, just given I mean we we have very low sample size, but he really just didn't hold up at all compared to the other. And it, it's not like he had a particularly in Caps's current form difficult opponent in the lower bracket either. So I think perhaps he is the most disappointing. I think for me it would be Karzi. Um, I just think that the the gap between him and other ADs is like pretty big when it comes to just the like how consistent he is. Where the meta right now, I think, is actually like pretty good for what Niski is supposed to be doing for his team. But there's a reason why Karzi is not like eating bands and Niski is the one that's eating bands is because Karzi will just play like his jinx. I mean, it's like fine, it's serviceable. He could play Aphelios, it's serviceable again. You know, he could play Zaya, it's okay, but he just he doesn't carry these games when he has massive leads. Like a lot of times his team is putting in a, him in a position where if he's a top, top tier AD carry, if you, if you put ruler in that same fucking game, rulers carrying the game, you know, like if you're putting Guma in that same game, he's carrying the game. If you put well, Hans I mean, with that lead in that same game, he's probably carrying the game too. So like, there's just a lot of situations where, I, I mean, he just makes a key mistake and they end up losing because of it. I, I think that it, it, this meta, obviously I think doesn't, suits Karzi particularly well, especially when he has to play Aphelios, because this this was the struggle in previous Aphelios metas with Karzi, was that he's just really bad at Aphelios. Um, and when the meta has demanded that of him, he hasn't performed well, and it, it's actually his fourth most played champion of all time, but he has a 35% win rate on it, and he has regularly looked really abysmal on it. And I think it looks better these days than it used to, but it still seems like a major point of weakness within his champion pool. And as we've seen, this entire meta has basically now come down to trading Jinx and Aphelios back and forth and maybe banning one and first picking one on blue side and then yep. seeing if the other team's going to play, you know, Zaya or, um, you know, a, a Zaya or a Zeri at the top level. A fellow's jinx, a fellow's jinx, a fellow's jinx. That's that's the name of the game. And now it's time for Degon's stat of the week brought to you by no one. Uh, because you brought it up, I, I'm surprised. I, I like both picks. I actually like, I go with Karzi's as well because I think Karzi had several pop-off games to give you hope that maybe like, okay, they 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 could do it in, in the LEC uh, uh, playoff run. I think what, but, gets me, what gets me here is that this should be a meta that's appropriate for Niski. That's I, I think that's what the most disappointing part for me is. It's like we've seen a lot of the success from mid laners go towards kind of facilitating movement on the map, facilitating pickoffs, trying to get into bot lane and skirmish and, and get kills onto the 80 carries, which is like, why can't why can't Niski do that, especially when Elioya is performing very well? So to me, that's why he's the bigger disappointment. Well, part of it comes from uh, the the my start of the week, which is 
the player that didn't get any votes for being the most fraudulent, Chasey. Chasey has, out of every single player that has played at MSI, the lowest KDA uh, registered. What is that KDA? And I'll give you, it is less than one. Of course it is. It I'll is go less than one. Seven. I was going to go 0. 0.67. That's very close. Both of you very close. It is 0.7. Exactly. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <wait>. <laughs> Random guessing. <laughs> Random guessing. But yeah, I mean, it's Chasey, Robo, then Hilly. Those are your uh, bottom three in terms of overall KDA and just, you know, uh, maybe that's why Niski wasn't so great. I mean, he just kept getting big without helping out his top lane and then they're not able to do anything. It was just El Yoyo by himself on an island. But uh, I think... Uh, that kind of wraps up our uh, fraudulency here on Mad Lions. Uh, did you give us a rating out of 10 here, Adam, on this team overall? Mad Lions? How fraudulent? Uh, I mean, I would I would give them a straight 10. I mean, you can't be more fraudulent <laughs> than this, right? Like they lost. <laughs> it was like, there was like, they, they played in 150 minutes total game time across two full series. They got 3 0 and then 3 0 hard as fuck. Yeah, one, one of them was like three minutes shy of the, the lowest game time of, of anything. They lost the game in 16, 16. minutes. Jeez. Look, they're playing, Christ. they're playing, they're, they played against T1, which I think uh, the broadcast fucked this up a couple times. They're actually the, the second seed from Korea. They, they didn't win finals. I, I know they kept on saying the highest seed from Korea. I, I know. I they they actually lost the finals. I won't be gaslighting. I have to go on a rant about some shit. I'm not sure the casters have watched all the games from other regions. I'm not even sure based on things that they are saying. I'm not even sure that they are watching games from literally the previous day. Like I had to listen today to somebody talk about a rumble pick and say like, you know, I <laughs> Basically, like, was confused about how many times Rumble had been played in the tournament, even though it was played in T1 versus Gen G at two different positions the previous day. I was like, hey, did you did you watch those games? Like, I, 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 some of the shit they were saying about Golden Guardians and, like, Cassante, they seemed, like, confused that it might be a flex pick for Golden Guardians, despite that being, like, a really core part of their identity within LCS. Um, yeah, I've heard some real weird shit that's been said, and I... I struggle to believe that the casters have watched all of the games or a lot of them have watched all the games or like know these teams particularly well. And I, I am now doubting, I have to say, them even watching games from the previous day based on things that I'm hearing, which is, I mean, very disappointing to me. Yeah, I mean, my point was, I just wanted to, to you know, just throw the shot at T1 really. But my, my point was that <laughs> if you're the one seed from Europe, like your expectations are to at least win like a game I, or like have the other European team. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're the one seed, and you got three would by the two seed in from your region, who you just beat. Like you just beat what two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I mean, this is uh, finals of of LEC was pretty quick, right? And then and then you don't take a game. I mean, like how could you be more fraudulent than this? You didn't win a game. Like you had one game where you had like a pretty good early game, nice, or two games, I guess overall that you had pretty good early games, but. They didn't look like a one seed. They didn't look like they belonged in the tournament. It didn't feel like if they played against T1 again, they would ever win a game. It felt like that was probably one of the best games they could have in the first game. And they still lost that. So and G2 just smacked them like even with the advantages they had in, in um, the, the first game, uh, the first game against the Casio, they still got smacked. So for me, that's 10 out of 10 fraudulent. So you can't just show up as a one seed from a region and lose in. I, I think in I saw, I saw minutes. 
I saw some stat and uh, I looked it up where it's like in best of fives ever since Niski went back to Europe. So like post cloud nine era on Fnatic and then Mad Lions in best of fives. He's won like one game internationally and otherwise just been completely dumpstered in like I think four or five best of fives now. Um, so he's like one in one in 15 or one in 12 yeah, or some shit. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, Nisky. Hey, don't worry. It sounds like the nutsack will always be waiting for you. <laughs> He's invited. He's invited. I love Nisky. I don't want it to be like Me it. too. And I certainly don't want him to get like hard flamed by these like psychotic fans. Too late. It's like, yeah, it's really psychotic Spanish casters. Uh, yeah. Literal I mean, wild. employed casters. Say like just I mean we could talk about that for a second. The idiocy to take two random screenshots. Like think about how many emotions a human displays during a day or during even like a five minute sequence to That's take so two gross, different. Man. I couldn't believe that fucking. Tweet. Take two screenshots of of like two emotions and be like, this is the difference between the mentality of a winner and a loser. Where it's like, have you ever no, been for... in a fucking team environment? Like, <laughs> like there's gonna be people on the team that are trying to clear. Like, the Warriors just lost to the fucking Lakers. When the Warriors lose, you know, you see like Draymond Green congratulating the other team, like smiling and stuff. No one's going to be like, ah, oh, they like Draymond doesn't give a fuck about winning and losing. Like he's fucking, he's, he's just it's all right. doing the did most. You know that, did you know that uh, Spanish people are actually, actually like telepathic? So they can actually know what Niski was thinking, uh, Dom. And therefore that interpretation is accurate. I mean, I have majority Spanish blood and I can say like, I, I, I heard about the Latin passion. I, I didn't know I was telepathic, but now it gives me a, it gives me more more reason to just start uh you know flaming people on, on on the internet i can just say hey guys i i am spanish blood i have the ancestry.com test to prove it <laughs> i just love it in spanish and nobody cares but uh, to dom's yeah. point if you guys didn't know what happened uh, one of the spanish language like official casters tweeted a tweet with like El Yoyo looking sad and Niski like laughing after their match and was like, this is the mental difference between a winner and a loser, basically, um, which was just fucking disgusting, honestly. And it's like to pretend that, you know, what was going through their minds. And and to Dom's point, there are many ways that you can take a loss. And perhaps you're trying to make your team like feel a little bit more upbeat right uh for any upcoming matches that might occur because this was after their first loss to t1 right yeah yeah i think it was yeah. so i mean they were still in the tournament guys so like what's the point in being super depressed if you are kind of an outgoing personality like niski and maybe you want to buck your team up after just losing in 16 minutes and lighten the atmosphere so you can focus on the next series yeah and put it's, it it's actually you. harder like, to do that than to be like depressed like i can tell you i was more on the Yoya side of being like fucking hardcore like depressed after fucking losses where i was just like man this fucking sucks like the world is like i'm a very pessimistic person as people can probably tell like i'm not <laughs> naturally an op optimist like whenever like the way i deal with negative st stimuli like stimuli is just to you know spiral it and get into like a very fucking dark place mentally so like i don't think that having five people like me on a team would be the best team possible in terms of handling losses like you can't have teams <laughs> like that like you know I, I mean it just it just is it just is what it is and the other thing is this it's not like Niski is a new player and you don't know how he processes losses. We've seen the fanatic fucking breakdown. You remember when he lost, when he had that Trinomir game where he didn't press hold and they lost the game at Worlds? The Worlds were like upset had um, like the issue with his wife and he had to leave. In, in that time, he was bawling 
crying his eyes out on Yamato's shoulder. So then, like, to, to be like, oh, yeah, he just doesn't care anymore. It's like, what, what the fuck do you mean? Like, what do you mean? It You've wasn't an elimination match. It, it also was He might have reacted very, like, very differently had it been an elimination match. I don't, I didn't recall how he, I, I didn't see how he reacted after the G2 match, but. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked he looked upset after the G2 two match because it was obviously more embarrassing. But then it's also, you lost against T1, who, like, I had winning the tournament. Like, they're the team that I have, like, winning MSI. So it's not like a, it's not a loss where I feel like you should take it super, super fucking hard because you still have other stuff to do. And that's not really where your tournament, like, that's where your tournament begins. You play against potentially the best team in the tournament first. And yeah, maybe you lose and then you go into the loser's bracket. Then you have to win from there and maybe you get a rematch later on and you improve throughout the tournament. I don't think that that's a, a doomed scenario. Also, if you just look at his track record, that shit doesn't happen by accident. Look at Niski's teams. Look at every team he's been on. Look at how, how they've they performed. He's just been a winning player. He is a winning player. He's won in LCS. He's won in LEC. You know, he he's the well, also, ultimate team player. Also, just imagine, you know, because I think a lot of this comes from Spanish support for El Yoya. But think about the what just happened in LEC. They were not supposed to win in LEC. They had an amazing run to win LEC and get El Yoya a title. So now we're flaming him all of a sudden. Like he just accomplished something that nobody expected him to accomplish. He won the he won the league as a giant underdog. What do you what the fuck do you want from this guy? I don't know. I mean, and, and we have our example in North America, four-time back-to-back-to-back-to-back finalist in Huhi. He does the same exact thing, and he was doing it here this, this year, and people were make fun of it, too, over at MSI. And all you can say is look at, look at the consistency that's been there. Think of every other player in North America that has had high highs. No one has been as hot of a player than who he in terms of getting it done and dealing with tilt and laughing in the face of adversity and making sure that he can balance out the rest of his team very much I mean, cut who, from the same cloth. who he yeah exactly who he in the game that that um that they won against blg when they completely inted bot lane at level one he was <laughs> yeah. laughing his ass off in the little player cam and you know what they came back and won that game yeah Probably not he by was, the gameplay, but definitely by the mentality. As they like did that, they tried to do that trick play and come in behind them and like burn all their summoners, and they just straight up lost. And then they just kept dying, and he was just like ha, 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 the entire time, and they won that game. So, uh, kind of a ridiculous thing to fight over. Uh, I think that yeah, as much as we're giving them an eight and a ten for fraud alert for Mad Lions, I think the biggest frauds are the uh, yeah. the, the mentality here by the Spanish casters. I, I just got to say, you know, next time Spanish casters or streamers feel like they're getting very angry, we have a product for you. <laughs> if you need to calm the fuck down, why don't you get a freeze pipe, okay, uh, which you can get at www.thefreezepipe.com and use your code LFN for Last Free Nation for 10% off. So we'll even save you some money. So instead of getting angry, when you feel the anger start to arise, or maybe just, you know, an hour before Mad Lions start to play, yeah. that's when you can pop the glycerin chamber into the freezer. And by the time the Mad Lions game starts, you can take a hit from your freeze pipe bong XL. You can calm the fuck down. It won't burn your throat. You won't get burned like the way you feel when you watch Niski play. And then you'll chill out for the match and you won't feel compelled to make really shitty tweets on the internet.
There you go. I have solved the Spanish problem. When you feel the, you know, the Latin passion start to rise, instead, freeze pipe. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know, LVP. We'll we'll keep you updated. Uh <laughs> All right, so we go from uh, one fraud alert to now a uh, a topic that happened here in North America. Uh, one thing that Dom alluded to uh, and also was solidified by the stepping away of pro play by tenacity, which was news that came out yesterday, is that Europe is currently better suited for developing talent with what they have in the EMEA Masters. And North America, at the beginning of this year, started out with uh, the return of the North American Challengers League, kind of opening up this uh, Tier 2 system underneath the LCS to just now, earlier this week, say that they're booting it uh, away by tweeting out their commitment to uh, the amateur scene, which was then rebuked by the LCS Players Association. So look at that, Players Association putting out a pretty stark statement and doing one of the first things in a long time where they're going against uh, Riot and the LCS. Uh, and that is the topic of our keep or kick. It's keep or kick the North American Challengers League. Let's get into it. So I gave a decent amount of context there, but there is a lot of context in just talent development in North America. What's wrong with the oh. systems that are in place? What's wrong with the player base? What's wrong with the server? Yeah. We we've hit a lot of those things, but the fact that Riot is now stepping away from the NACL. I think is the topic of conversation here. Yeah, let me let me talk about what happened first, just because people might not be up on all the context of of the decision. So basically, uh, there was a statement that came out from Riot this week saying that as of immediately, effectively, they were not going to require the professional teams to operate mandatory challenger teams, and that there was going to be some vague uh, tournament in the future that was going to include amateur teams from North America with LLA and CB LOL teams as part of some sort of tournament um, that they didn't give a lot of details on. So they're trying to increase kind of competition for challenger teams by having them go up against minor region teams. And then finally, um, they have said that the import rule is remaining in place. And that's not surprising because they would have to lift that globally. And every time the North American owners have brought this up, the European and Korean owners basically smack it down, which totally makes sense. Because why would you gut two more successful regions who have much larger viewer bases to help a really shitty like dumpster tier fourth fourth region? Right. So it doesn't make sense on a global stage for them to do that because those regions would just basically be eviscerated. and. The, the upside of it bolstering NA and China is not worth the the damage that it would do to other to other, um, you know, two of the very good regions. So it's all to say that that was not accepted. But the big surprise was, according to the statement made by the LCS Players Association, was that this was a surprise attack by Riot and the owners where Riot told them, uh, Philip Aram, who's the head of the association, Riot told them that that was, you know, cutting challengers was potentially on the table for next year. But all of a sudden, without warning, despite promising that they would maintain it for the rest of 2023, Riot reversed their decision. And now we're in a position where the the Players Association was basically lied to by Riot and their legs were cut out from under them. At request of all the owners as well. At the yes, all the owners voted to eliminate this because of budgetary reasons. Yeah, 
And so this fired off just a crap ton of takes, right? Who's at fault? It's the players for their salary. It's the owners for uh, not supporting developing talent. It's Riot for not sharing the money and, and doing rev share. Uh, the LCSPA is out of pocket because Riot's just trying to do what it needs to do to keep the whole league alive. It's all, all over the place. So I kind of don't want to just get so your thoughts I, here. Here's a, here's a hot take you haven't heard yet. I, I guarantee you haven't heard this one. So I think it is a large, like if the players really believed in this and the players who have come out and said, I came through the NACL system and like, it would have been really hard for me to even get a professional job had that not been true. Remember that at any point in time, the LCS Players Association could have become a formal union. They could have pushed for this. Now, the reason that they were not pushing for a union is because that would have potentially created a salary cap. Because right now, if it's just an association, there is no negotiating, there is nobody to negotiate a union, you know, a union to negotiate against as the owners. So it's illegal for them via antitrust laws to create a salary cap, okay? Because there's no body to negotiate against. If there was a union, then there would be a body to negotiate against. Now, the reason why the players didn't want a salary cap was because they were feasting on all that sweet, sweet venture capital, and the top players were getting paid literally millions of dollars per year. And the cost of that, if they had been, had a union, would be a salary cap, where the top end would get paid more, uh, paid less. But at the same time, they could have instituted things themselves, like mandatory path to pro, minimum player salaries uh, that were higher. Like there's a minimum salary set by Riot, but if you have a salary cap, you can also raise the floor, potentially also for up and coming players. So the players themselves mad greeted for the money that they were getting. And the reason why they didn't want to have form an actual union was because it would potentially cut off high end salaries or the highest salaries possible for the most famous players. And here we are. Now you get neither, motherfuckers. You don't get paid because there's no more money for you to take. And now you don't even have a floor and you don't have a development pipeline. So good job, short-sighted on that one. How do you feel about this whole situation here, Dom? Um, I'm going to have an unpopular take here. Uh, but I, I think that it's actually good that a lot of the Academy players are going to be paying less. I think that the salaries were so inflated in Academy. I mean, there was there was players in Academy that had $400,000 salary that were signed on like a, a signed to an organization where, you know, there was some type of like guaranteed move up at a point or that they were just signing these huge contracts in order to um, play within the, uh, the LCS. I'm not sure if the guaranteed move up was actually confirmed in one of the contracts. I heard that it was being considered, but maybe it didn't even get signed. So leave that part out. But the point is that a lot of these, these players we're getting paid so well that there was just like there wasn't that that hunger for the players to move up anymore. Like they don't want to give it all to LCS. There was so many players that coasted, man. There was so many academy players that were just okay being in academy forever, living in LA, getting 60k a year, not having expenses, and just you know that, I think that that kind of killed the the drive within the region. I think part of the reason why people used to care so much and why people were grinding so much before, almost at like I guess an unhealthy level, some people would say, is because they really wanted to make it like you did this for the love of the fucking game. And because you wanted to compete and not to live this like cushy LA lifestyle where you have like a nice pl place. Like even if you have roommates, whatever you're living in a nice apartment within Santa Monica and you get paid pretty well, you're doing better. And it's just like an alternative to going to college. So for me, I, I think that 
a lot of the players abused the system uh, for years. I think it's happened in LCS to some degree as well, where people were coasting. Um, but I think that a lot of Academy players were coasting and that's where I want to see the hunger. You know, I want to see these players not just be okay being mediocre and, and, and chilling. And now I think that there's going to be potentially a chance for a lot of these players to move out up because the other thing that was coming in is when you signed these bigger contracts, you have bigger buyouts, the bigger contract you sign, the bigger your buyout's going to end up being. And because now there, there will be smaller contracts, but between these teams, the orgs will be as big. There should be uh, less of a buyout, meaning that if they are actually good enough, they, sh they, they shouldn't be jailed. They should be able to move up. So, I mean, that's overall what, where I see is I don't think that it's going to be purely a negative. I mean, obviously like it sucks if everything goes to shit, but if there are still going to be teams and there's still going to be organizations and NACL is still going to exist in some capacity, hopefully those players have, you know, more desire to actually prove that they're the fucking best right. and move up. Also, just because all the teams voted to eliminate it as a mandatory requirement doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that teams are not going to field challenger rosters. Like, right. it doesn't mean that everybody's going to lose their jobs. Like, I, we know that Cloud9 in particular really values their challenger roster. So, like, I would be surprised if Cloud9 dropped all of those players because they use them in internal scrims and have cited that as a major reason behind their success. Maybe they have a different plan to do something in the future, but that has been... Um, you know, that has been a core feature. And honestly, just the way Jack thinks and operates, he's probably thinking, well, all these guys are going to drop their roster. Well, that's just more players for me to get, you know, good players to concentrate on my own challenger roster. And therefore I will get buyouts in the future and I will have a better scrim partner. Right. And I will have first pickets at some of these players that are coming through the amateur pipeline. I would imagine that is the way he is thinking. And that's probably the way some other owners are thinking as well. It's like, yeah, you guys just drop your rosters. That's fine. We're just going to we're going to get all your good players and just we'll have them on our challenger team and we'll get them at a discount, you know? Yeah, I think uh, a, a couple things here. Just in the LCSPA uh, response, over 50 percent of the players have come through the academy system, challenger system, which is true. It's either they were talent that got developed and moved on up, but a lot of it was hey, this player was on a super team and it exploded and they needed to find a home. They needed to find a place to regain their form. You go look at Stixay. You look at all of CLG slash energy now. Uh, maybe people forget, like Biofrost was also a player that went down for a little bit and spent time in an academy or in Challenger. Like you, it's it was a place where it, it created space up. It needs to exist, but... When you look at traditional sports, and I know this is, you know, whatever, but like baseball, if you look at minor league contracts, the minimum baseball is $400 a week. It's not $65,000, $85,000. And I will right. push against Dom's point in terms of like, their guys are getting $400,000 and, you know, whatever. That is an exception. It's there. That is an exception. That's not most guys. But the average for most guys was still like way higher than what it is in traditional sports yeah. for guys chasing their dream. It's like right. 40,000 like, for the G League. I think it was like 60K was like. So, so here's the thing. This is another reason why the owners didn't want to deal with the NACL anymore was because, yes, it was 60, it was around, I think it's $64,000 is the California state minimum salary for full-time employees. Okay. So they weren't being paid hourly. They were considered full-time employees. And because Riot has based things within California, that is the reality. And there's also higher payroll taxes here. And you're paying higher cost of living uh, in Santa Monica. 
right, for these guys, because there's no way they're going to live in Santa Monica on $65,000 a year. That is insane, unless they have their food and apartment paid for for them, right, which then it's a pretty – it's all gravy at that point in time. It's a pretty reasonable amount of money for a 18-year-old, okay, whatever. Um, Not being salty, they get paid literally more than I did to, like – Grind oh, yeah. LCS for like oh, yeah, five for years sure. of my life. Oh yeah, well, I mean the equivalent of LCS before. Obviously, LCS existed, but yeah, you get the point. Yeah, I mean they—that's more money than I got paid to cast five days a week for my first couple of years in Korea. Um, so I mean, look, I, 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 sympathies for them aside, part of the problem has been the insistence that they live in California. And Phil Aram also said this, which is that he considered a win that the NACL had was that they maintained the, the California minimum salary, even if players had to pay, play remotely. So let's say they, they were playing remotely. That was a compromise that they made, but they said, you still got to pay $65,000 a year for a player, right? And so these, these minimums have really hurt, you know, teams. And th there's another, here's another fun angle to this that people haven't considered. The fact that they rug pulled the negotiation and basically canceled this immediately says that John Needham's statement about, you know, the future of LCS and all of the money that they were going to make teams that ain't coming anytime soon. And they don't really have a plan for it. And there, this is, they literally rug pulled the players association to save the team's money because they have no immediate plans in order to make the team's money. Yeah. Phil I mean, said it, it was, it's it was 17% of their budget. So basically the only logical reason that they would have gone against literally what they said and they promised to the LCSPA is that the teams are in so much trouble and they have no plans to immediately offset how much trouble they're in, Riot, that this is what they decided to do. So this is on Riot. This is on Riot for, you know, not properly providing money to the teams. And it also says that, any plans that they have that John Needham announced are not coming anytime soon. And given the nebulous nature of like, oh yeah, we're going to introduce like microtransactions to help the teams. That ain't coming anytime soon. And there's no real plan there. There's no real plan. Yeah. I mean, I think Just it was bullshit. really, it was really interesting to see the LCS uh, PA talk about how like they were lied to. Like that's very yeah. harsh things like, to, straight that's up very lied hard. to. Yeah. They said that publicly. <laughs> like, damn. Okay. Lied to. Shit, you're going there. You know, Riot was not happy when they heard that. Like, yeah, and I don't, I, and by the way, don't blame Phil Aram because a thing they could have done, right, is to create a union and create a minimum salary and force, you know, the union could have forced NACL to exist. It's not his fault that they do that. The players have to vote on that. The players have to make that decision. So it's on the players. It's not on the leadership of the, the LCSPA. They can only do so much. And of course, you know, you're still dealing with, especially in that academy level, as much as we, I brought up the veterans that go down and come back up, you're talking with young kids that just want to play, you know? They just want to play, and that is all they think about. I, how do I get good at the game? How do I grow? How do I shit on this other player? Blah, blah, blah. They're not thinking about the future here. And uh, again, I pulled up one more sports article. Just last month? Yeah, just last month, minor league baseball players signed their first ever think about how long baseball i remember around. this yeah minor league baseball players signed their first collective bargaining agreement and the amount that they gained was a ton they they, they almost like one two x their minimum salaries or i guess here we go minimum salaries will rise from uh four thousand eight hundred us dollars to 
20,000, like 19, $19,800. That's uh, what four, like only oh, yeah, four X right there. Uh, the minimum there at rookie ball for rookies moving on up. And that's what I'm saying. There's levels to it. Unfortunately, we're not going to be robust enough to have multiple levels. So you still need to understand like, okay, like because you're a step away from LCS doesn't mean like you're going to get that. You're going to get a fraction of that because you're there for the opportunity that you get up. So, yeah, I, I mean, know. look, Riot doesn't want to do the things that they should be doing. They should be providing teams more money. They should be providing these microtransactions with a real plan faster. They should be moving the LCS out of Los Angeles, which is the most ridiculous waste of money ever and has been for a long time. You know, they were like, oh, yeah, we're just going to buy the old G4 TV studio, plop it across the street from, you know, it's, it's across the street from the Riot campus. We're going to run LCS here. It's stupid. You are paying exorbitant amounts of money for production in Los Angeles. You're paying exorbitant. The teams are paying exorbitant amounts of money for facilities here. If this was in Las Vegas, by the way, everything could move to Las Vegas and the teams would save money, even if they had to move facilities because payroll taxes are less. It's cheap in Las Vegas, only a few hours away. Not that difficult to move. Um, cost of production would be way lower. Cost of running, you know, by, you know, renting the studio. I don't know if they technically own it or they're on a long-term commercial lease with the G4 TV studio, but Riot could also just change the G, the the studio the LCS studio into more office environments because, like, God knows they continue to expand as a company. You know what I mean? Or they could sell it. You know, uh, that'd be an opportunity as well. So I, I think there are a lot of things that could be done, but having the LCS in Chicago or in Las Vegas at this point in time would make more sense, and the owners would be over the moon about this. They would be over the moon. Imagine the amount of money they could save by moving this stuff. Uh, but what about my alien wear training facility? Like that's that's stuck there. That's, no, it's not. I think that's a long-term commercial lease that Liquid has, and you could just move that to Las Vegas. You would probably save money, literally, realistically, if you got because commercial real estate is cheap right now because of work from home. If you went to Vegas and rented a new facility and like potentially broke the lease on the the alien wear like training facility, you might be able to actually make more money by doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the cost of moving would be, it'd be a one-time cost, but in the long term, the savings of moving out of Los Angeles would be enormous. And it, you know, there are these, I love all these takes by the way, because people are like, well, you know, all the people who work on the LCS, well, would they move to, it's like hire new people. So here, here's the math guys. Here's the math. So if the LCS dies, how many people work for the LCS? <laughs> zero zero people work for the lcs if you move the lcs and people will move with it by the way i don't think that many people in esports are totally married to the idea of living in los angeles if you could move to a place with lower cost of living i think many people would take that with the same salary if you got the paid the same why would you not leave like do you love los angeles for some particular reason seems like most people would take that arrangement i kind of do you know, pretty people. Beach right there. Run the numbers on that, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'm not sure Monty is correct, but sounds like it could be plausible. Uh, Just the, the or last you get part. new people. It's like, well, you decided not to move the league, but I would say lower the cost of operating the league for both the teams and the league itself. And then you have an opportunity to give more rev share to the teams or the teams don't need more money because you're not forcing them to be in California. Well, 
one of those things that came up, and this will be the last topic on on this, uh, to, to do exactly that, Monty, was possibly moving on from the studio and doing online show online matches or getting rid of the audience section of the LCS so that you're cutting down on production, you're cutting down on tickets and space there. I don't think the audience actually increases cost that much. That's not my experience in operating these tournaments, right? It does cost something, but it's not the majority cost. The majority cost is you are paying you if you are in Los Angeles and you are operating a studio production, right? Whether it has an audience or not, there's a there's a steep cost associated with that because anybody you're working with can literally do go onto another set for a TV show, a movie, a sports production, literally anything that happens in LA and have the same job. So you're competing on rates with those people who have a lot of other opportunities. If you go to Las Vegas or Chicago, there is going to be a smaller pool of people with those skills and expertise. There's less competition for those people, basically, right? This is not a giant entertainment engine. So yeah. I, and also the rates are gonna be lower there for those people because it's a less cost of living environment. So, I mean, I don't, a lot of the people who work on LCS are freelancers anyway. They're not salaried employees. Like most of the production people are just going to be free day rate fr freelancers. That's how it's always worked there. Yeah. Um, and so why not just get day rate freelancers in another place, right? Dumb, you've got obviously to experience the LCS, LCS studio, all that stuff. Uh, matches on stage that were great, matches on stage that were heartbreak. How would it feel to you if uh the live audience portion went away for the regular season right let's say maybe they do some for playoffs and obviously they'll have their live events but the regular season matches were like done just online or remote uh maybe you're in studio but there's no live audience i mean i, I personally would like to play in front of a live audience if i was a player i think it adds an extra dimension of like pressure to the games and like there's going to be live audiences for the other teams that you're competing against so i think that some live audience is is probably good to, to have um but I mean, I don't think you need a massive studio for that. If you look at like the LEC studio, from what I've heard, I've never been there, but from what I've heard, it's significantly smaller than the North American studio. And they're still able to bring some level of like live audience, you know, fan interaction, all that type of stuff. But I mean, when you look at the, the LCS studio it, itself, this one is fucking huge. Like this studio is massive to just have like two or know, 300 people in the audience. It's a lot. But I just like the, in terms of the actual studio itself, it is yeah. a massive fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. studio. So I don't know if you need to be paying all that. And I mean, it's weird because they didn't care about moving the LCS before like season four, season three was in a different studio as season four, season four was in a different studio than season five. And then ever since season five, they've like committed for the rest of their lives. They're like, we will only go to this studio until we're all bought, dead. I think they bought that building. The, the G the former G4 studio, which is across it, the street from the riot camp. Yeah. They could literally just use it for other things. They could literally just use it for I more agree. riot stuff because they're having to like buy places around there as well. Anyway. So it could just be more riot offices. Agreed. Um, to Dom's point, it is pretty big. And this year I feel like they utilized it really well uh, for the first time in a while, like in terms of the screens and lightings, they also probably had to do that because it had to be modular for Valorant. But, um, yeah, that is a cost that should be looked at, will be looked at, and we'll see what the future holds for the North American ecosystem, I'd say. The pipeline of players, the structure around it, and the cost moving forward. Uh, I guess we're all kicking the NACL, but not necessarily uh, for a specific something because there's a whole lot of things that can be changed for the uh, system moving forward. All right, now that we have gotten into the uh, out of the... Uh, 
a case of the NAs, let's head back on over to international play where our big conversation, our thoughtful conversation for MSI, it's our Galaxy Brain Club discussion about the MSI metagame development that has happened over uh, the last several weeks. All right, Monty, I know you were talking about it earlier, getting ready to dive into how things played from where they were in regional leagues to Aphelios Jinx, Aphelios Jinx to Malphite top 0-7. What are some of the <laughs> biggest takeaways so far in I terms mean, of the meta? Could you have dreamed up a better meta for JDG at this event? Uh, I mean, it really, uh, to Dom's point earlier about 369 and his just wonderful tank play, feels extremely good and comfortable for him. The ability to still get some damage done in skirmishes in the bot lane and get ruler ahead and then combine that with these really heavy like kind of frontline team compositions that provide so much protection for him to pop off it was just really a joy to watch him in the match against blg and i think as we've seen teams attempt to run more of these top lane carries or or jungle carries they're coming into pretty severe limitations where even if you get early advantages they're not actually converting into wins because the front lines and these these hyper carries are just so strong yeah, I mean, I think I could dream of a better meta for uh, JDG at MSI. Like, just knowing Knight, I think the mid lane pool is not... Uh, the mid lane pool, to me, is like a faker mid lane pool, right? Like, if you're going to have, yeah, like... that's fair. Annie, Gragas, Nautilus, like, these yeah. are all... If, I think that this makes more sense for bring, him. Bring like, back Doan B. What the fuck, man? Where's he? Yeah, exactly. That would be a doing... <laughs> this, this would be a fucking doing me meta right here. I think Knight, like, from what... From watching him play a lot, I think that he's best in, like, a silas meta where you have like silas and silas counters and who's um, like you, you have like lucian mid silas like so it's lucian mid is a counter to silas but if you're good enough at silas you can maybe get through that matchup and then if they pick lucian mid you can you know play syndra into it like these this type of rotation i think is really good because knight has a lot of specific champions that he's good at but i think the team fighting meta i mean tank tops so, i'm not even sure if this my, is like the my, real my, meta. My, my slight counter to that is that you know at least there's ari which has been, long been one of his best champions that he can play and obviously we've seen he can still get away with the syndra as well in this meta which do provide um you know skirmishing power in the mid game and an ability to roam so it's not it's not totally bad uh, also his annie was quite good it, uh, up and I, I didn't like some of his any play in the finals, but up until that point, I thought his any play was also quite good. So um, I think in general, he's got enough picks to work with. In, yeah. in terms of historically, uh, I just went back a couple years here. MSI 2021 had 10 champions in the pick and ban, like 80% range. I just picked 80%. So it's, you know, a, a fifth of, of play where it was 10 in 2022, 80%, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, if you're above 80%, it was, uh, five champions. Uh, Viego was next at six at 71%, big drop off this year. So far, as much as the meta seems to be the same, the champion diversity is different. It's only four four champions so far at the 80% range. Aphelios and Nautilus are really close at 77%, and we're not done with the tournament yet, but it does kind of feel like there's been creativity in terms of what champions can be played. There's also more champions that are out, but you guys are right. The style that has been solidified here has, has kind of locked on in with by leading the way right now, 92% pick ban rate here, Tom. Sorry, just throwing that stuff. Yeah, I think it's hard to like look at a meta and be like is that indicative of what the meta should be or is it just how the sure. teams have like agreed to to play when i look at, at a lot of these teams it feels like the 
the thing that 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 I think is strange is maybe all the tank play in the top side. I mean, Zeus was making a living off playing, you know, carries the entire split until finals, you know, and then he went back to the Scion. Well, but I think that's a key point about the way that T1 has approached this meta is like he was kind of forced back onto the Scion in the finals and it looked really uncomfortable on it. This time around versus Gen G, they came back with the Scion in like level one set plays, which is way, way different because it, it, I think that was a huge, huge shift from LCK finals to now is that. It was like Zeus is on science as an emergency me measure because Doran mm -hmm. is fucking us up and like he's not carrying. And now it's just like you are on Scion duty. And I think we could have a conversation about Scion looks extremely strong right now. And like it's starting to creep into like must ban yep. territory because of how much ahead you can get via plays at level one and early dives. I think that those you know, plays are fake. Actually, those plays are fake. All right. Okay. I think I think that, that, that they're actually fake plays like the Scion level one. I think it works when teams don't draft certain things. But a lot of the times where so, I mean, there's a couple things that need to be met. Number one, you need to be able to invade bot side. If you have weaker level one, then you literally just can't make sure. this play. So that's one of the, the conditions that needs to be met. The other condition that needs to be met is you have to have push bot lane. Like you have to be able to push the wave in because if you can't crash the wave, then they don't end up getting dove. They're not on the turret. You just like can try to gank them, but if yeah, they put a ward behind themselves, they're fine. So that's another condition that needs to be met. And the other one is the the jungler has to not be able to just do the krugs and deny the krugs and stop the enemy jungler from hitting level three. So I, I think that that teams are still getting used to it, but we saw a pretty good adaptation today where um, there was a I think it was Kanavi right on Kazix. He stood behind his bot on level one. He took the uh, Krugs, and then you actually have to TP top. So if you see like an early pick Scion, I think you should be able to draft something like Jinx, for example. If you draft Jinx, then they don't have the play. If you're playing Aphelios into Jinx, you don't control the wave level one. You can't force them to be in that situation where the dive is there. So I think there's also plays... there's also when it happened too. I mean, Doran was playing Gwen, which is just fucking useless under that tower at level one. Well, um, and they also misplayed. I mean, Paige just walked up to the to the Scion body because he was trying to like finish off the Poppy. Uh, I mean, there's you could go even deeper and be like, like could have maybe flashed. Like it's very hard timing, but if you predict flashes the the poppy, then they could maybe win as well. There's a couple of things that go into yeah. that situation. I just don't think that that the lead that people are getting is way too big. You can definitely minimize this lead that you're getting off off these scion dives. So that's what I mean when I say it's fake. It's like it's working way too well for something that's in the game. And I think that as teams experience this and they go throughout the tournament. They prep for it and they review it and they really break down what should happen and they're not playing it by ear in game. I think that these plays will evaporate. I think that's a fair, fair assessment. Um, almost like, oh, I was going to say almost like when we were playing, uh, what was it called? Inverted lanes. What was it called? Lane swap, lane swap. Lane swap meta. It was just, hey, we are learning how it works and Korea, China figured it out. I'm mean, mostly Korea figured it I mean, out. Also, North America. You could also just ban the Scion. I mean, especially like especially if you're going to be on blue side you can just ban the scion from blue side which is kind of what we've been seeing um if you don't want to deal with it uh yeah. so i think I, I think there are several ways though and i i do think that you know teams are going to have a day off now they're going to review this we are going to see a meta shift heading into the next round um where they will have as don points out some probably better answers for it yep so with this being uh, the meta being set as it is now, where do you feel like there are holes to start uh, well, meta busting? As I love well, to get I, to. Well, I think I think there's going to be. I think there are other shifts that are coming. Like I really just hate these Nidalee picks. As I said earlier, I, I haven't seen any real compelling reason that you should be 
kind of betting your game on some of these like jungle carry picks. I'm not a, even though Kha'Zix has won the majority of the games that Kha'Zix has played in. I'm also not a super big fan of Kha'Zix. And I think the teams will start to execute better against Kha'Zix. Um, the rise of Maokai is probably something we're going to see. This champion is still, again, if you can get him into objective fights later on, incredibly strong. I think Owner also showed, I was very surprised that it was Owner who was showing us the, the jungle poppy coming in as opposed to Peanuts, who was prioritizing the Wukong. I think that gets shifted up because Wukong up until this point in time has been the most played jungler uh, at MSI. Part of that is just because there have been so many Vi and, and you know, Maokai bans. But Maokai is crazy good still and does provide like poppy so much objective control um and we've seen that the objective control and the objective fights are really really starting to matter even more than they did because we in it basically it feels like especially over the course of the t1 gen g series a lot of those like early focus and like early arrival on objectives from t1 was really dictating the pace of the game so I think that the more you have champions that can engage or disrupt, even if you're behind the play a little bit, like Poppy and Maokai, will be increasingly prioritized. Dom, where do you see shifts in the meta possibly come from? Um, I, I really wonder if this is actually the, the best way to play mid lane on this patch. Like, do you need to, like, can you not just abuse something like a, a Nautilus, an Annie, um, a Cassante mid with something that just scales better than these picks. I, I'm like waiting for somebody to just like slam some type of mage, you know, just play, play, play something that doesn't die to the gank and just scale and play like front to back later on. And I think that Syndra is something that could be really interesting here. If you can actually lane the Syndra into Nautilus, then I would much rather have like a Syndra in, in a team fight provided that the rest of the team is stable and you can make use of the Syndra Suns. I think that that's something, I think the top lane tanks being blind picked should have counters. Like you should be able to slam a Gwen. You should be able to play like a Fiora. You should be able to play like Jace top. These are things I want to see in, in um, these types of games. And then I think the jungle meta is a little bit weird. I think Wukong is just not a good champion anymore. Like I just, uh, uh, it's been nerfed. Him. He, he's, 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 he has abilities nerfed. And like, if you can't get items, he's just a, pile of shit yeah i mean so i think that there should be more like of these utility junglers in in the jungle i don't think that kazix is that good i think there's spots where it's fine but if the enemy team has a lot of cc it's pretty hard to operate uh, kazix within the game um so i want to see like poppy jungle maokai jungle sejuani jungle uh you know vi when it's up and then from there there should be like answers like maybe like leeson into vi if the enemy team doesn't have uh too much cc or like if the enemy team uh has has a lulu maybe you can go for something that's more of like a a poke jungler maybe we can see kindred pop out um in some of these spots uh not as a poke jungler but just in general we can see these types of champions here i, I just think that there's that the game in general it, it's like teams are taking more risk than is necessary but as tournaments go on and people experience each other more i think they'll just start picking champions that have more just like abilities you know like kazix doesn't have spells like he just throws the w and that's like it you know and you're just hoping that they fucking split up and they give you an angle whereas you know maokai ult is still fucking so much, man i hate maokai ult. so much poppy ult is still poppy ult you know like these yep. are just your fucking exactly. abilities so i, I want to see more of that
I hate snowball junglers like these. I just, I hate them because it's so hard to convert that snowball into an actual win. You know, unless you're talking about a team composition that is purely based in poke, but like, that's not what the ADC meta is shaking out to be right now. So where else are you getting that poke? Well, as Dom discussed, you're not getting it from the mid lane. So like, do you get a Jace? Probably not because it gets banned. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really it feels really bad, I think, to play the Nidalee. And yes, we've seen some, like, the majority of games that Kha'Zix has been played, Kha'Zix has won. I think he's got, like, a 75% win rate right now. But a lot of those games haven't been amongst the top teams. And some of the top teams, when they play Kha'Zix, even when they've won, have looked worse playing those compositions than they than they have playing other styles of comp. Yeah, I'm like the most up. dominant games, like think about the most dominant game of like the, the T1 Gen G was like owner just completely bodied them on that poppy, played an insane poppy game. Yeah, I mean, if you play solo queue right now and you play jungle, you'll understand why people are playing a lot of Kazakhs. Like this champion feels really fucking good when you're just ahead and you're able to do Drakes and you're able to do, you know, cra like you one shot the crab, you one shot Drakes, you one shot where there's no coordination and some guy's always alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's kind of how it is. And I think that like just because of the power of the champion in those situations, people want to to pick it in competitive. But I think that there's I think it's still viable. It's definitely playable, but people sure. are playing it way too much. It's playable in spots where you're allowed to just like play your own game and you don't need to do jungle things in competitive. But if you're walking lane to lane, you got to push out this lane base. Oh, you got to defend this bot dive. All right, we're going to like a test around like this amount of space and you're behind in items and you're just kind of or like you're even with the enemy jungler and you're just playing uh, you're just doing the right moves as a jungler, it, you're not going to be as useful later on as something else. And, you know, the, these teams that start interacting, these really good teams when they start interacting with each other, they're going to want champions with spells, which is why, like, the Rumble Jungle, for for example, from Owner, I thought was really good in that game five because mm. that is just a good spell for the game. You throw your fucking ult down, you put it on the floor, you chunk somebody, somebody's taking damage. Like, that is a spell where Kha'Zix is like, oh, maybe I can chunk this guy in stealth away, but a lot of times you're seeing Kha'Zix have to, like, invest his ult for just like a small chunk on a carry, and then he's useless after that. It's just not worth it a lot of the time. Or he just gets oh. caught by a, a Maokai ult and 100 to yeah. zero. And then he can't play. <laughs> and then the build the builds are, are I, I think the Umbral Glaive is super fake. I think you should just be going Eclipse into Edge of Night every game on this champion. Um, Wait, I heard that debate on your stream because the whole concept was, well, you make the whole jungle dark and now you can isolate. That Like that doesn't, that's not it? No. I think that just being able to do damage and be like unkillable is is way more valuable than than having like because you can still control vision with a sweeper like you can just control it's not like when you normally don't have an umbral glaive you can't play the game or you can't deny vision like sure. people play the game with pink wards and and you know red sweepers and all that and i don't think you you need to create a whole massive like pocket of vision through the whole side of the map i mean one sweeper is essentially the same as an umbral glaive right so it's just like it's as if you have two sweepers when you have an umbral glaive when you're going to control uh, vision in a competitive game, because you know they're going to have ward, so the, it's going to pop. Yeah, I think you just control smaller pockets of vision. You sit in a you red sweep a bush and you sit in a fucking bush and chunk people <laughs> as they walk in. That's literally what it is. That's how you play assassins. I guess if you're investing in a snowball champ, getting your vision, you know, investing something that isn't damage that isn't going to help you snowball could, you know, it could be a deterrent to that. Uh, I wanted to go back to something you brought up, Dom in terms of mid lane champions, right? You're like, ah, mid lane could be different. What's something that could poke or scale uh, in my head immediately from historic, not 
because recently, and I'm actually not even sure the, the the power levels of them right now, Azir and Corky, like these are champions that could do that or something, but what else could be played that fills that role? Because everything else is just burst. I went back to last year. I went back to the year before that. It's all kind of Vex, uh, LeBlanc. Uh, there's Zoe here. Zoe kind of fills that poke and kind of scale, but that's not. Tilia kind of you know, does, sort of. Tilia kind of did that today. We saw that a little bit. Um by uh gory but what else fills that kind of gap that you're looking for victor is the other one that scales that everyone plays that could always play yeah i mean i think the problem right now is that like you just need so many items as like a tra traditional ap champion to be able to kill because like a cassante will just walk up with dorton shield his e and and uh second wind in in his uh rune page and he'll just fucking tank all your spells while hitting the wave uh, it's just it's just <laughs> stupid but i think that cassante is just something that should just be banned and when you remove cassante i don't think that annie is the same thing like i thought the rumble pick was pretty smart from chovy the the rumble into annie i think that changed things um i think you could go like something that has like some sustain it, like the rumble you could go uh, a mage into into nautilus i think that nautilus needs to be able to coordinate with the jungler but if you have you know, a, a jungler that's strong in your own right and you're able to play around mid lane, it's not as abusive as um, Cassante in terms of just shoving and being unkillable. So I think that there's things you can play into and things that, that you can't. I think that people are using Nautilus kind of as a replacement for Cassante in that same type of style. Uh, and they just want to be able to flex a Nautilus. But now that everyone knows that Nautilus is a flex, I think it loses some of that power. Like people are not getting tricked by it the same way they were before. What do you think, Monty? What else can fill in this spot here? I think I think it's it's really rough. Like I think a lot of teams would like to be playing the Jace, but that just has it's been banned so much uh, mm -hmm. over the course of this event, and not it's also most valuable as a flex pick when you know that there's some level of threat uh, to that being you know taken into the top lane that it makes you know makes a big difference. So, and also I don't know if not that many mid laners outside of Asia. I think play the Jace as well. You have to get you have to get creative, but if people are playing things that don't that are just there to like stabilize mid. I would love to see things like Zach mid come out. I feel like Zach mid could work easily into something like Nautilus where, you know, it's like it, the whole weakness is the lane phase, but Nautilus is just like a better tank or sorry. Uh, Zach is just a better tank later on. He's just more tanky and he could just find engage angles. So obviously there's going to be, it would have to be niche. You can't just slam it or somebody's going to hit you with a poppy or a Jan or something like that. But if you get a champion like that in the right game, it could be fucking absurd. I mean, we saw Galio, right? It was Galio something that else could do that, but just doesn't do it as well as the Nautilus. Sure. I mean, a Rumble mid, Zach mid, you could go things like set potentially if you have like an AP jungle. Like maybe if you want to go in Italy, you could go set mid in Italy. That's an old combo that people used to run that I think would, would give it gives you that ability to have the setup in lane and the AD mid later to comp around the Italy and really snowball it. But I, these Italy picks are just being thrown in randomly. You know, they're not like <laughs> people are picking it because it's good in the matchup or because it's a champion that, um, a champion that will balance a, a team comp or something. It's like, oh, we need some AP damage. Uh, you know, we're playing front to back anyway. You can heal somebody. It's, it's. I, I'm not. I'm not even sold on it in that case because I think the problem is that you just don't have time to. If you are the only poke champion on your team, and you even like, let's say you had a set mid, and you're still trying to contest an objective. If, as long as they have a big front line, like you, you're just not going to hit enough spears before they take the drink. But that's the whole thing is that set counters front line because he, you ult the front line into the back line and you you deal a ton of damage. So that would enable the set to like counteract that part of Nidalee. I think you use Nidalee as like an early game champion to like 
get the game going where you're getting like first Drake, like second Drake, first Herald, you're up in the early in the enemy jungle early and you play out like hard on one item and then somebody else is going to take over the game later on where you're essentially playing 4v5 because you have a Nidalee later on. So I don't even think that Nidalee <laughs> operates like... <laughs> At least to be champions. honest about it because that's how it feels. That's, that's how it feels to be dumb. So I think yeah, it's I mean, a Nidalee, it, Nidalee later on in the game becomes just a heal bot like the the spear doesn't matter anymore what matters yeah. at that point is you have primal surge which is a heal right and then it also gives 60 percent attack speed to your ad carry so you Although just traps aren't entirely useless uh, traps are pretty useless I, I think i think if if i'm thinking as an ad carry playing against a set mid with a nidalee we saw it a lot happen in the gen gt1 series where i think it was it was it chobi on the lissandra yeah that was going after gumiyushi there's mm -hmm. just so much chaos on that front line that gumiyushi just was getting caught multiple times with uh with the snare or with the frozen tomb because he would walk away but claw forward and you're just focused on all these other things it sounds like enough chaos that could lead to some mistakes and uh, you know so definitely something that i think is is cool to look out for. And that was going to be my question. I, I'll let you solidify it, Dom. Give me one pick that uh, is going to shake up this meta that you would like to see. Not necessarily that is going to happen, but you would like to see. Mm, let me think. You know, let me yeah. Think on that, let me look at a, at a champion list. I mean, one that I would love to see just right off the bat is Gragas Jungle. I think Gragas is like fucking broken. And if you start picking this champion, flexing a jungle and not just playing it top, I don't think it's as good top as it is jungle. Like top, it has a bunch of matchups that are hard or you like slowly lose out um, and you're just playing for the ult later on. Gragas is a fucking better Nidalee when, when you play it in the jungle. It's not as good early game, but you have an AOE spear that's hard to, that, that, that's hard to fucking dodge, right? Like you have your Q, which is really easy, easy to land on the Gragas. And then your ult just one shots people. Like this is a pick that's being massively slept on. Um, I mean, it has been used in the jungle. Rivers used it. Levi um, as well. This is yeah, but well. I mean, like it, it, these are like games that don't really like, matter. <laughs> you know, well, like really. Well, they I, used it I in have, that win versus BLG. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think I think it's also something that Peanut would be very comfortable playing. I don't know because it feels like Gragas is more of a like assassin now. Gragas has played more like an assassin in the jungle. Like, actually, I'm not even joking. It's just an assassin champion. You go like Sorks and and uh, Night Harvester, and you play it to like one shot thing. I think I think that Gragas is something that should be huge. I would love to see more Belveth. I think Belveth is extremely strong right now. And if you're going to play these like early game comps, this is a champion that can snowball, and it's just more more useful than a lot of champions. I think if the enemy team is drafting things that don't do damage early, or they're drafting things that are generally weak early. And they're just trying to scale. You can really accelerate a game with Belveth. So I think that that's a champion that um, has a lot of potential if you play it well. But yeah, I guess I would go with those two. All right, Monty, your turn. Oh, we went through the meta busters. This is more like what you would want to see in this meta to shake it up. Um. I guess I get I mean, we we have seen a few of these, but to Dom's point earlier about seeing some more of the carry top laners, I think like in spite of, I think, Bin's failure at being able to actually carry those games from Fiora and Jax today, I, that's what I would like to see more of just for my own entertainment purposes, not saying that I think that these should be brought out because they're the best, but 
I, I am concerned that the longer that this tournament goes on, the more we're just going to end up with these kind of death ball comps colliding around Drake and, and Baron and team fighting being king. And to me, that's disappointing because I would have liked to have seen Bin do a little bit better in terms of applying split push pressure on the Fiora with a lead and having that be a viable win condition. So I guess my concern is this meta turning into a one note meta uh, by the time we reach the later stages of the bracket. And that would be a bummer, I think, for me to see. Yeah. Uh, for me, I brought it up last week because I looked up the stat for it because it was a nerf. It was the two damage taken away from Caitlyn. You took you took two damage away from Caitlyn because we talked about there's no poke that's coming from anywhere else. Go back to playing Caitlyn. Go back to winning the lane. It's volatile. I get that it's volatile because if you fall behind against a Jerry against uh, a share uh, Zeri or a Jinx, then now you're worried about that. But it then unlocks you to play these different compositions. Like go win the lane in the bottom side of the map. You are some of the best eighty carries in the world. I mean, I, I think it's hard to do that, especially because of the number of roaming mids right now, because if you're hard pushed, you really are very exposed. And so it's not that it can't work uh, if you're coordinating around dives or you're actually getting a lot of plates with the Caitlyn. Um, but I think that there's a level of risk that probably makes teams a bit leery of trying that strategy because it is super obvious what you're doing and it is counterable and you're basically... It, there's there's a lot of volatility like you could win really hard but you could also just completely lose the game um so maybe teams don't want to be so ride or die sure but 16 minutes and 17 seconds or whatever the fuck mad lions lost out already you know what i mean so uh all right uh, that is our galaxy brain discussion uh brain club discussion here on the msi meta uh one more segment to get through our favorite one to knock out every week for you guys to get your bite-sized dose of uh just pure league of legends uh, league of legends deliciousness it's our certified banger of the week and we do go to the i guess history breaking trend breaking game five winning uh match there for t1 the whole series itself but let's get into our certified banger of the week is genji versus t1 also just i just want to double check but i'm, I'm highly sure this is the one that was cast by Atlas, right? Max gets off the plane and then just goes straight into the banger <laughs> series of the week. Yeah. To yeah, yeah, solidify yeah. for me, he is the best caster in the world. I love Atlas. <laughs> like, I love Flowers too. Flowers also held that mantle for a while. But Atlas just comes in and is just, ah, it's so good. Best caster on the best series for the week. I loved watching that one. All right, Monty, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. Uh, Riot, uh, Riot actually did something that is highly unusual for them, which is that they put Korean experts on a Korea all Korean game. They usually hate doing that. They usually hate, you know, providing the the deepest knowledge of those particular matchups. Um, but credit to them, they did it this time. They had Atlas and Chronicler on it so it was the two koreans they the korean casters they had there which made me really appreciate it and i, and I like the the dynamic with dagda as well yeah. um but i i mean as people know this was very nearly a 3-0 for t1 i think they came in with a really in the lck finals i felt like they didn't really have a game plan against genji and i felt that genji had prepped much better 
for the style of T1 and was really ready to answer a lot of the tools that uh, T1 had used throughout the split, including pulling out the Caitlyn Lux in the finals and some of these other matchups. Um, and I think T1 was a little bit cocky coming into those finals because of their previous win and the fact that they were massive favorites. And so it felt a lot more respectful, I would say, this time around. But at, at the same time, like, I think Genji also kind of didn't have the best read on what was going on in terms of the meta. Um, I, I think there was too much of an emphasis on Wukong from, from Peanut in this series, especially when I think that given his history on Poppy, that was really a, a lost opportunity. Um, surprisingly, we saw a lot of the same bands that we saw, especially the emphasis on Cassante and Vibe bands from T1 that were present within the LCK finals as well. However, this time they are not letting Peanut have the Maokai, which I think is very smart. However, next on that tier list, I don't think that the Wukong is is really where Genji should have put their focus. Um, and I think we will see that change the longer this tournament goes on. Um, Doran gets back on the Gragas a little bit. He did not have the same insane performance that he did in the finals. I do find it a little bit weird that people were emphasizing how good, like, Doran's legendary Gragas, because you might think that if you only saw the finals, but he really, I think he played two games on it during the regular split. So it's not like this guy is known as, like, the greatest Gragas player this year. Like, that would be 369, who had been playing that really well throughout the split in the top lane. Um, so... I would say, you know, more of an aberration that he was so good on that pick in the finals rather than something we yeah, should Yeah, it was just surprising because it was Doran. Like, exactly. I mean, in the previous <laughs> series, like, I mean, the whole narrative in the previous series when they played each other was like, oh my God, Doran is so bad, he's solo losing the series. That's what people thought of, like, his Malphite, right? He was terrible in that series. So when he played the Gragas and he was actually, like, making positive plays, he was the reason they won a couple games. I mean, that just shows you uh, Genji's cap. I just think that, in general, this team has lost a little bit of their identity. I think Peanut is... Uh, I mean, even in the series versus G2, he's playing Elise, he's playing Nidalee. These are just not Peanut champions. You know, like, Peanut should not be playing Kha'Zix or any of these things. He should not be playing, like, like Lee Sin, any of these types of champions. He should just yeah. be playing... The tanky champions that are going yeah, to be good in team fights. There's something wrong with jungling Sejuani right now. Just bring it back. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Sejuani, Poppy, <laughs> Maokai. Like, you should just be rotating Vi. those. Yeah, Vi. Yeah. You should be rotating um, those four off so, cooldown. Yeah, and I, I think also, you know, they they wanted to get Doran, Doran onto this Gwen, ostensibly as a counter pick, but they didn't, you know, they didn't react well to some of the early game Scion plays. Um, they, uh, weirdly, I felt like they lost their identity, Genji. Like, I, I get that you want to play Aurelian Soul, but that's not how Genji wins games. Like, they win games because they have mid-priority. That is a core feature of Genji. Like, if you can't activate Chovy's laning phase, what the fuck are you even doing? And it's not yeah. that he's a bad Aurelian Soul player. He actually had a lot more effect than most Aurelian Souls early in the game, I think, in that one. But I just don't think it suits their style very well. And I think they're just a fundamentally worse team when Doran is trying to play a carry rather than playing a tank yeah. or, like, providing that front line for them. And so for them to place that emphasis on Doran, I thought, was was unusual. Uh, credit to T1, though. I think they came in with a much better game plan than they did in the finals. Uh, I especially thought their last draft was very creative because in getting Cassante, Rumble, and Gragas, which they sh never should have gotten, to be fair, to be fair, um, Nautilus ban, I think, is irrelevant, and they should Genji should not have done that one. I agree with the Annie and Lucian bans, though. Um, but basically, because 
T1 got Gragas, Rumble, and Cassante, you actually have a, you don't know what you're picking into. Like that could be, that could be a top Cassante with a uh, Rumble <laughs> mid and a Gragas jungle. Like you don't fucking know where those champions are going. So it makes it very difficult to properly R5 in that draft. So credit to T1 that they made a very, you know, slippery blue side draft. But like, I don't think that, I think Doran assumed that he would be put facing Cassante with the Gwen. And that wasn't the case, right? It was a Gragas in top lane instead. Um, and the the rumble was ultimately flexed into that jungle position, and owner had a very good rumble uh, rumble jungle game. So, I credit to T one, but at the same time, Gen G proved that after a loss, they are they were in LCK playoffs, remarkably good at bouncing back and discovering the meta, and then iterating very quickly in order to take the title. And I think we're going to see Gen G do something very similar in the in the losers bracket here. I don't expect them to have these same priorities again. Yeah, I think there was also some weird things that happened with Genji though that make me like a little bit less comfortable. Like for example, their play around Drakes when they would give the first two Drakes like verse T one, and then I mean that's normal. Delight, but... Delight just walks up and gets Tom Kench or gets blitzhooked as Tom Kench, and they just lose yeah. the situation, yep. and they're no longer yep. able to play with like a pretty good game state like that. A really they were game also just be late. Fine. They were late. They were late to the plays. Like they would. You know, they would stick around too long in a lane and then pays would be half a map away while the fight was starting. Right. Because the objective was starting. And so, but as you say, they gave away the, the early Drake. So now there's a Drake fight and they're in a desperate run to the Drake. And so T1 is really just setting the pace of the game and they are the ones dictating when the fights are happening and pays isn't there. So I think you look at some of the macro plays that Genji was making. Um, they they do have a tendency to give up a couple early drakes. The difference is by the time the third drake rolls around, they're in position. That was not true in this series. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it was it was strange to see the the misplays by by delight. I would say because I think delight is normally really consistent. I thought in finals he was excellent. You know, like his Lulu play was oh, yeah. was insane. Um, well, to to push back a little bit I, when he was on Rakan in their wins, those were some great engages and great uh baits i guess like more than what i thought it felt like you got a like high highs from him and then uncharacteristic lows from him as well i i just wanted to color that one a little bit yeah i mean on the recall like, no yeah i think in general he was just like he was outclassed the series by carrier which obviously carrier does outclass people a lot of the time but i thought that he was i thought that th that in final specifically uh Delight was just playing well, and I think he made uncharacteristic er errors. Obviously, this is his first international tournament, so maybe there's some nerves there. But overall, Genji just, I felt like they forgot who they were. They had an identity crisis live on stage. So uh, <laughs> we are here to help them remember <laughs> who they are. <laughs> who they are is they, they scale, they, they get gold on side lanes, they show up to a fucking like Drake 3 or even give it and play Drake 4, and they just out team fight you there with like. You know, a uh, gold lead. That's what I want to see. Well, you guys at home, if you want to uh, see Genji forget who they are, that is our banger of the week. Make sure to head on over and watch the full series there. It was uh, uh, a ton of fun to watch as uh, you get to see Genji go out of pocket, come back in pocket. And then again, the history made by T1. I, I think the stat was like it was their first best of five series win since 2019. I, I forgot what the stat five was. Five game it. series? Five yeah. best. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they kept losing game fives, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this was the series that, to be honest, I think that T1 was much better. I thought T1 was like, they, they just 
trolled away game three. Like they just choked away game three and like game four, they was the only game where I thought Genji played better than them. Like it felt like a very commanding five game series. It should not have been three, two. I think the one should have just cleaned them up in three games. That should have been three Oh, with how uh, Genji was playing on the day. Sure. Um, all right, there it is. Certified by the week. Make sure to go watch that one. Y'all, another. That's uh, I mean, we had eight best of fives, but there was not really a banger. So this was the closest thing to a banger. I mean, it was fun. It was well, okay. Fun. Yeah. I, I need to throw this one out here. And I, this one goes mostly to you, Monty. And then I'm asking you as a co streamer and as a viewer, Dom. Uh, I felt like we got way too excited when the Western teams were playing. <laughs> and those game one or two, whichever one for whatever team it was that popped off, you know, like when when Mad Lions got the first early kills against T1, it was like, oh shit. Uh, Azale, you could probably make a compilation. I love Isaac. And it was really exciting. He sold me on the, he said, Golden Guardians, you like, you lucky, you lovely bastards or something. I was like, oh my <laughs> God. I think. We are still down 1-0 or 2-0 or whatever it is. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. That felt a little strong though, right? Do you think that was like, we had to do that? <laughs> no, it's like it's like a joke. I mean, like the, the reality is you go to this tournament, you look at LCS, you look at LEC. If you've watched these leagues, you expect them to get shit on. Like yeah. maybe BLG can, can lose to G2 if G2 plays really well on the day. That's yeah. about it for the West. There's no hope for NA. There's no fucking hope. There's it's, absolutely it's the, nothing. The, te the team fighting and coordination is just so far behind. I think that I, this is this these almost showed why it was so fucking doomed because yeah. outplaying them early game is is not even something that is like likely to happen. But even if you do have the better plays early game, where you know you you outplay in some sequences. Their level of precision in team fights and their level of execution is so much higher that you just can't even win those games. You can never win yeah. those games. I, I, you know, there's a there's an example. Um, let me remember which game it was from Gen G versus G2. Hold on, let me look it up. Um, I was gonna say any of the Golden Guardians games. I They're the ones that make us the most. I think it was game two. I think it was game two of of Gen G versus G2 before they they happy gamed game number three where they completely trolled and were like running around under turrets trying to kill Yike. This is what happens when you get two O leads that are so dominant. And they're playing Nidalee and Peanut is playing Nidalee. Like <laughs> it's not the first game. It's like Maokai. It's like just kidding I mean, Nidalee at least. Wolf made this phrase was like happy gaming where it's like. <laughs> Sometimes Korean teams like I mean it's just the way they were playing too. Instead of just turning on to Baron after chunking out Yike, they're like running under a, a tier two turret and all dying instead of just I don't know fucking doing the Baron like they would against any other normal opponent. Um, where they're not up 2-0. Uh, but I, I enjoyed how G2 fans thought that that was a legitimate win. Um, in any case, I think it was game two where um there was basically a swap up by Hansaba and Mickey X to Herald, right? And Caps went into the bottom lane at that point in time. And so G2 gets Herald. But by the end of the sequence, Genji had completely macro blasted them where basically they took Herald, but the cost was like eight plates plus Caps dying under turret twice plus I think there was a death from I believe Yike in top lane as well. So and a dragon. So it was basically like G2 got a herald and Genji got eight plates, three kills, and a dragon. And that was the that was the trade. It was the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals. You know what I mean? And like this is this is the kind of macro that you see from these Western teams, which is that it, 
they think they're doing the right thing, but they're really just opening up so many potential weaknesses and dives and then misplaying on top of that so that the damage just keeps on getting piled on. It ends up in a 19 minute win for Gen G and people are like, holy shit, that accelerated quickly. And it's like, yes, you left caps alone and Gen G is so good at cross mapping that they are just going to just bleed you dry if you make one of these mistakes. I think the worst uh, trade deal in the history of trade deals was a, uh... Piotrzyk to Team Liquid for any amount of money, personally. That was <laughs> probably for me. That's where <laughs> that's where I would go with it. But let's what call it back. Call it back to the five percent at Worlds to ninety five percent sucking on the LCK. There it is. Uh, <laughs> nice, Dom. Uh, okay, cool. Last thing. Last thing. Just because it's happened at Worlds, uh, let's go European fans. Show up. I'm hearing Jio on the broadcast the whole time. I'm hearing fighting all the all the time. Come on, you've got you got two teams left from the West that you can go cheer up. You got G two to go and pump up, and you can then do what we do in North America all the time, and then support uh, the other Western team that isn't from our region, but they're from the Western team, and get some Cloud Nine chance going. Let's go. All right. Uh, that being said, that does it for this week's episode of Power Spike. Make sure to subscribe to all of our social media platforms. We are putting out short form clips for you on TikTok, on Instagram, our little quick hits on YouTube and on Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, make sure to go uh, like and subscribe, all that. Thank you to those of you that uh, hit up the comments as well last week uh, and let us know which products you're using and how you're using it and that maybe sometimes you use one and hallucinate that the three of us are talking directly to you. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Was that, pretty good that was very funny. <laughs> very funny. We were Thank talking you to you, this. by the way. You yeah, we are. Yeah, you were, you were in the room and then you disappeared. Uh, so make sure to uh, continue to support us there. Thank you yeah. so much, guys. Next show will be Monday after we finish MSI. So Back to the regular can, schedule. You guys can enjoy that. A little capstone on our MSI experience. It'll be delightful. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll probably start getting some roster shakeup, roster news. Who's playing top lane for EG? Kind of wondering. So Revenge. we'll find out. Oh, wait. Yeah, it was Revenge. I mean, who else? There's one more <laughs> slot that's open, right? Is there a slot that's open? Oh, no. TSM is just going to go with uh, 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 Hauntzer, right? That was the slot that was yep. open because it was solo that's shifted over. We'll see what happens. Maybe there'll be roster news. Maybe not, but we'll be back on Monday. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya.